Welcome to today's podcast. It's our great pleasure to have with us today Joram Berg, who is the VP of Embody. Joram, welcome. Thank you very much, Debbie. Good to have good to be here. Now it's a pleasure to, to chat with you. Joram, could you give us an intro, please, into um Embody? Sure, absolutely. Um for the last 12 years, Embody has been uh pretty dominant player in the space of creating visual experiences online for consumers and some of the top retailers, uh, websites uh, in the world, primarily in the field of um, team uniforms, sports, apparel, anything that requires the heavy customization and rule playing in how we interact with products online, save those options and purchase those. I've been doing this job for the last 12 years, as I mentioned, and... um, here we are on to a new journey. Mm, that's great. Really interesting. Yara, you've been in this industry a long time, haven't you? And you have a, a vast knowledge of the fashion trade and the tools and skills that we need to develop to move forward. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. The main topic for discussion today is going to be how COVID will accelerate the digitization of the supply chain. So I guess without further ado, we'll kick off into our first question. So um, Yoram, how do you think the fashion industry has been affected by COVID-19? Oh, wow. Thank you for this question. I think it's um, it carries a lot of data in it. Uh, I think from speaking to local and international players, uh, the effect has been quite strong. Um, we all heard and read some of the stories, you know, that retailers and brands uh, abruptly canceling orders, I have to say, in the many billions of dollars Um, how much apparel or clothing were affected as a result of the crisis. And there is so many numbers to support it. I mean, recently I went on the uh, Federal Reserve website here in the U.S. There's a lot of interesting information on that website. And I look back at what was the sales of clothing and accessories here in the U.S. back in 1992. That's actually when they started measuring those numbers. It was about $10 billion back then Mm -hmm. in 1992. In 2008, when we had the most recent significant uh, uh, recession, that number dropped from about 18.7 billion to around 16.5 billion. So a sizable drop. But 2020 in comparison, and assuming the numbers are correct, saw a drop from $22.6 billion in December of 2019. To listen carefully, about $2.8 billion in April of 2020. Now, again, this is all assuming the numbers are correct. This is a federal website. This is not somebody's own interpretation of the numbers. And we're back up now to about 8.1 billion. And that's for the category of uh, uh, clothing and clothing accessories. We also saw that there is, uh, there is um, uh, there are other industries that were affected as a consequence, you know, with drops of 60, 70 percent, 50 percent, 89 percent. You know, if you go into hotels and things like that. So I think our industry was heavily affected um, as per the numbers I was just uh, quoting. Those are incredible, incredible yeah. drops, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while the brick and mortar retailers are hurting, we all hear about the doors closing at, at 
great numbers. Uh, the trend that started back in, I think, 2017 to 2018. And last week we heard uh, uh, in a call I had with a very large retailer from India, I heard what I'm hearing here in the U.S. as well, is that online is booming. So, and while it's not enough, you know, when you think about it, to offset the loss of brick and mortar retail, it's bringing large brands to think in new ways, and as it mm-hmm. has to. All right. And again, um, in the last week in Source and Journal article, uh, we all read about, you know, sales of sportswear and, and sporting goods uh, saw a 216% spike in May, selling sporting goods, etc., uh, up from about 114% growth in April. So you can start to see some growth because people are starting to make some purchases. I think the second category that they were quoting was housewares and do-it-yourself supplies that uh, were about 190% growth in the gaming uh, uh, climbing at about 84%. So I would say that the adverse effect has been running next to an opportunity in terms of um, uh, um, the effect that COVID had on the industry. But I, I think, you know, again, given the numbers, we have never seen such a big drop prior to this period. And and how do you think that that recovery is going to happen? Do you think do you think you're going to see? I mean, there are so many different scenarios: L's, V's, W's. You know, what's what's your instinct and your insight for how quickly you think that might tip back up? Yeah, you know, there was all these discussions about whether we're in a V shape, a U shape, yeah. um, an L shape. You know, I think pretty much we covered every possible letter. <laughs> we're in just flatlining right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we're kind kind of, as you said, yeah, I think we're kind of flatlining right now, somewhere at the bottom, trying to figure out the direction. It's much like a stock market big dive type of situation where it tried to identify a bottom from where it's starting to climb up. Now, if in, if in the beginning of this, this uh, uh, experience of COVID-19, companies were saying, ah, oh, yeah, you know what, we're going to have a major drop just so we can get the virus out of the way and then climb back up. I think that feeling now has changed to be, it's going to be a long, slow climbing up type of, uh, of uh, uh, scenario that we're going to be experiencing. I think a lot is changing along the way. I think if much like we have, as, as a community, as a world, have totally validated uh, a video conferencing as a way to go mm-hmm. in opposed to getting on a plane and flying someplace as it used to be, um, then we're looking at getting on a plane and flying someplace for a meeting in different set of eyes right now, right? Same eyes looking at it in different yeah, ways. absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's going to be the same thing we're going to be experiencing here, slow upwards, uh, 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 traction, but not at the pace and the speeds that we saw before. So, in view of that, then do you do you think that um, obviously the financial impact will it finally be a catalyst for change? And that if this is going to be a slow return, then companies need to adapt and fast, don't they? Oh, well, in a nutshell, it mu- they must. Okay, yeah. if uh, certain technologies were nice to have, then I think the call to action right now. It's time to act. Uh, the financial situations, you know, is catching a lot of companies in a disadvantage right now, as they may not have capex to invest. I mean, I've been speaking to companies from across the globe. Definitely, capex is out of the way for the remainder of 2020, unless it's like a must. Um, uh-huh. And to a degree, fast reaction to the situation or reacting fast to the situation will result in deploying technologies that may only look like a good fit. But are they actually so? All right. Um, yeah. Brands and retailers really need to think, in my view, 
um, deep thinking about what a change in their approach with regards to their digital strategy, okay, and the desired outcome thereafter. That's 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 a serious discussion a brand and or a retailer should have with themselves. And I've seen that for the last 17 years from the first time that I sold my first 3D system with the company I used to work for before it was somewhere in the summer of 2003. Summer of 2003 was the first 3D system that was sold, at least from a company I used to work wow. for. Um, wow. and, and up until now, companies are still struggling with the concept of deploying 3D. So, yeah, for example... Kind of, yeah, leads as well onto our next question, actually, which is um, why do you think the industry has previously resisted change? It's, yeah, um, yeah I'll, we'll yeah. get to that in just a minute. I think that yeah. you know some questions that brands should ask themselves is, do I react to PLM or strategize on it? Okay, lifecycle managements have been around for many, many years. Yet I still see companies that treat, or sorry, we're, we're getting to a point where their PLM is serving as a very fancy typewriter machine, okay, rather than a system they will leverage mm-hmm. in order to execute efficiencies and streamlining in their business. And when it comes to 3D, for example, you say, well, do I need to, or will I, or do I have the, the inclination to start hiring stuff or relying on a supply chain or whether 3D is by all, you know, at all the right way for me to go, right? So, and then you can ask yourself questions like on-demand manufacturing or developing for stock. In short, investments must happen, okay? Brands mm-hmm. that can see through the thick smoke will benefit from such investments, and if anything, COVID-19 has been an unexpected catalyst for brands to be ready to move to digital, right? It became an immediate uh-huh. need to have a digital DNA in the relationship of a brand with its supply chain so they can facilitate product creation, review approvals, and things along those lines. But that was not any appetite that was on the front of the thinking process of so many brands by the way, that I'm still speaking to you today and saying, no, I'm, I, I don't have any plans to deploy any 3D solution. And not that I'm saying that 3D will solve all your problems, but as means to get to the market much faster with less physical interaction, then you have to think at least in this way and not eliminate Absolutely. that from being a topic of discussion. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do you think? What were the barriers? What, what, what's, what, why are they holding back? Yeah. Is it, has it been? Is it financial? Is it change? Is it... I don't know, is it the structure of, you know, the bulk of the industry? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think we want to climb up to about 35,000 feet at the moment, even though, you know, the airline industry is not there, but we can get there. (laughs) (laughs) The industry was was already paying attention to digital, Um, but I think it was mainly for sales and growing e-commerce with, you know, consumer-facing solutions. That That was something that everyone went after, in a digital way for a while now. Um, the resisted change that is now evolving, um, I think, is the need to go digital through the entire process for product yeah. creation, review, approval, and things like that. So this is change from being very pinpointed, segmented into something that's more broad in its approach. You can say that, um, you know, very little approach, or maybe I can call it success, um, has been paid to how brands can really accomplish a monumental task that involves things like, uh, you know, adopting a new technology altogether, you know, strategizing on, on it, as I said before, and then adopting a technology, understanding that this, this has implications and it 
uh, it has the complexities that will spiral through the rest of the organization. So it's not like a one department implementing and everyone is like, oh, yeah, that's great. It affects the rest of the organization. So how do you go about it? And then things like overhauling um, a longstanding process, right? I mean, yeah. do you, are you really ready to do something like this? Yeah, just taking the legacy away. Yeah, taking just, the legacy away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, getting out of your comfort zone, really, to make that change, really, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. About that I, think we, yeah. I think we got too comfortable in the comfort zone. Yeah. Um, enduring incredible disrupt disruption. Okay, this this is after all when you implement some new technologies, it is a disrupting technology. But are you ready for that? I think COVID nineteen came in and totally appended our lives. Was yeah. it? It was a disruption, and if we got a com- uh, you know accustomed to to a new way of living, and if we thought that working from home is not an option, let alone now when you ask uh, in a survey I read last week. Here in the U.S., people are saying, yeah, 70% of them want to keep working from home. 70%. That's some number that no boss was ever looking to entertain, <laughs> right? Yeah, same here. Same here in the U.K. I'm yeah, pretty absolutely. sure it is the same. And more than that, you know, among the points I was counting before, you know, transforming an analog uh, uh, or physical workflow to target a digital approach, right? I mean, one is coming in the footstep of the other and manage a change rather than reacting to one is by all means the envelope that kind of couples all those talking points uh, um, that I listed a second ago. There are multiple other challenges, okay, in in the resistance to change. I I quickly want to go through those. I think they're pretty important. Um, Another one that we saw is that historically there's been you know, no easy way or, or, or some sort of a platform. And I'm going to use some fun word I heard recently to democratize, okay? Uh-huh. All the different aspects of, for example, how 3D assets can be created, shared, displayed, and experienced, okay? And, and, and the reason behind it is that every, every great 3D provider, and there is a number of great solutions out there that I came across in my years of work, cannot point my finger in any one of them to be exceptionally better than the other, but they're just great solutions and they come to serve the purpose for which they are out there. If, again, the organization knows and has a strategy on how to deploy it. Uh-huh. But there was no way to democratize all the different aspects of 3D. And as a result, the ability for uh, a full spectrum of stakeholders, designers, 3D artists, product managers, uh, marketing, sales, e-com, and, 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 and so on... To work and populate 3D-centric platform, um, and since they didn't have a way to do it, then it's just been a discouraging experience, maybe internally within the organization for the most part, but also for those who are interacting with the content, maybe even outside the organization. So it became like an area that you say, wait, I need to do this in this system and that in that system, and I need to have materials tested in system A, but it's not the same way the materials are showing in system B. And if if it renders in one way in system A, then how is the rendering looking in system B and C and D and E and so on? And it became like, uh, I want to make a salad, but each tomato has a different flavor, but they're all supposed to be tomatoes. Right. So uh-huh. it became a problem. And another noticeable barrier there is that brands and retailers uh, face when they, they, they want to map out manageable route, uh, you know, to go from physical to digital. Then um, how do you how do you as a brand or a process owner scale the use of these experiences? Right. Because one of the things that technology is coming to help us with is to be able to scale. Right. And. 
these digital experiences um, uh, bring with them questions like, are you sure you have the right resources, skills, technologies available in-house? And you know what? Sometimes more than anything, the willingness, does it exist in-house in order to adopt something like this? And I've heard yeah. so many times that people were saying, oh, you know, it looks great, but it's great for him or for her and so on, which means, in other words, it's not great for me, right? So is the willingness there? And just how much... Because- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, be- it's become much more than a tool, though, hasn't it? You know, it's a bit like you could, you know, the analogy of Photoshop. Yeah, you can create digitally, or you can create with a with a with a brush and paint. But you know, this is actually becoming a functional part of the process, three D now that is actually going to energize the entire supply chain and actually deliver products in a sustainable format. It's actually it's a, got to be a given very very soon. Because it's, it's the way that the industry has to address all its inefficiencies. So Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's an adaptive change. You, 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 know, to, you, know, ad- you know, adapt or die, isn't it, really? You know, you really have to. There comes a point in everybody's workflow where you just cannot ignore a technology any longer. And, you know, change can be painful. It can be challenging. It can do, be all of those things. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think we're going to we, – we've reached that that – step change haven't we we've kind of reached that tipping point i think here because of the crisis, you know and accelerated because of the crisis perhaps and i think you were asking you know if if the if the if covid19 was a catalyst for for a change and i think by all means yes if we were not happily walking into this party maybe not the funnest party to be part of then we actually have to figure out a way to enjoy this party. And, um, and I'm yeah. using that enjoy in, in quote-unquote type of terms, more like if I'm in this situation, let me at least do the best that I can to um, uh, get my brand, get my products, get my cus- consumer's experience to enjoy me as a brand changing as a consequence of what I'm experiencing or what's being experienced out there. So I think that, you know, when you try to democratize this for the first time, um, you want to look at ways that you can easily create variations, publish their output in a way that others will find easy to interact with. And it's ready for a wider audience, both upstream and downstream. Okay. So like you said, with the supply chain, for example, can they be part of that creation? If I'm a brand and I'm not willing to invest in how do I bring them into a situation where they create content for me, but me as a brand, small or big, by the way, can work with any and all 3D solutions out there, right? In that concept of democratization. And I think perhaps, and then we spoke about it just a second ago, I think that perhaps the biggest barrier was we simply got cozy inside the comfort zone. You see? Yeah. Brands did take decisions to adopt newer design and development tools in the past, but it's not something that is just now starting. However, the fulcrum on which their decisions turned was rather reactionary slash visual, if I may call it like that, and not yeah. economical. Yeah, now so, it's economical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for many, 3D, for example, was a visual target. Wow, I love that 3D, right? Look at that image. It looks amazingly well, I heard so many people are saying. But it was masked with a long, painful process of implementation and reaching uh, success. And that is still the case today, by the way. Even with COVID-19, loud call for e-commerce, you know, and getting into the, the, the front end of efficiencies, there are still many, many out there uh, who are still asking questions or not knowing how to properly implement this. So I think that these are just the few points we wanted to 
bring with regards to um, the the well, resisted change, if you will, the barriers yeah. for what's been holding it back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly we have to we have to get that transparency we have to get that workflow connected don't we to move forward and to react at the speed with which we now need to supply products mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. so absolutely so and that kind of leads me on to our next question really e-commerce which is booming um alongside the growth of customization within that sector um and john i'd love your insights as to um, what's driving this growth yeah, great question. I think that uh, ever since the year began, every major retailer has been in in waves, if I may say, uh, completely dependent on digital sales. All right. Yeah. Um, you can see that some of the world's largest brands, uh, the biggest brands, have seen triple digit growth. I mean, we all see the numbers out there in online revenue. And while that happened out of necessity, and I have to commend some some brands and retailers more than others that work very quick to adjust. Um, yeah. In our industry, I can only compare it to lack of progress or or, or agility that I've seen mm-hmm. in the world of education. By the way, my my wife works for a school in New Jersey, and it was such an amazing experience. Within five days after they announced school closing, they were up and running on a full daily schedule for the kids using Zoom. That's and incredible. That a, that's a private school, mind you. And I remember packages landing at the front door of my, of my house with a laptop for my wife, which she has one, and a set of earphones uh, and, and anything else that she needed as part of being able to conduct herself from home. Looking at the, at the public school system in the place where I live, uh, they were struggling for weeks in just how to bring about uh, a, a learning program for kids at home. Some of them were more successful, others were less so I think that, you know, uh, the apparel industry, some brands have exactly performed the way um, that private school where my wife works did. Within days, they were out there in a big way. Um, so I think that while it happened out of necessity, it's unlikely that, you know, the clock is going to wind back. I think this is now here to stay. Um, and when you drive consumers online, um, especially in the new age that we're in, they tend to adapt to updated ways of shopping uh, and customization is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. At the core of this thought process, uh, in my view, is the fact that everyone wants to feel unique when you speak about customization. Now, uh, over here at Embody, we've experienced this with our deep industry knowledge in sports and team uniforms and and and, and that business that we've been serving for many, many years. And, and, and we start to feel the same trend with inline and stock products, which is the focus of, of a new solution that we're coming up with, um, kind of reversing our approach, if you will, from being a custom business to um, having starting with inline and stock products and moving forward. And I think that that makes sense, right, given where we're at as an economy yeah. right now. Yeah. However, I think that customization will ultimately be driven by a multitude of setups um, that all needing to kind of play in harmony. Let's look at some of them. Rapid design, right? We spoke about 3D product development, making having digital ways in where a pattern maker can sit at home and still have some sort of a, of a platform that they're interacting with online that allows them to upload their patterns so they will turn into 3D and so on and so forth. Line review, line sheets, right? Things that people used to take a plane and fly for. It was a great, probably a perk experience or, or whatnot, you know, for that individual, but it still needs to be carried out. 
and it needs to be carried out in a very quick way. Therefore, we're speaking about quick approvals. We speak about being able to squeeze a lot more calendars through the year. Okay. And here again, some yeah. technologies like 3D solutions can come to help us because customization can go anywhere from me just customizing a color and a texture or maybe even a fit, right? It's again, some yeah. sort of a customization. Um, and all the way to, am I putting my name on the garment, which is customized products now that we're speaking about. So I, I think if we focus on the first part of what I was just saying, then rapid design, quick approvals, much more calendars for the year. And again, on-demand manufacturing for fulfillment will become mm -hmm. critical, right? Not just the digital yeah. printing, which is great and, and things that I've been exposed to in, in my previous life. And I just love what's happening with digital printing right now. But I think fulfillment, being able to sew it quickly together, automation within that space, packaging, delivery, and, and, and the whole uh, back uh, operations behind is really critical. So all playing together to deliver that customized experience to the consumer. Uh, and in this regards, we speak about, you know, customized experiences that happen in the back end of the organization. Okay. Yeah. Whereas up until now, everyone was relating to this as an online shopping personalized experience, right? We keep hearing that again and again. I want to personalize my or customize my shopping experience. But now we're speaking about the back end of the organization. And that's where we have not seen much customization. Yeah, that's right. It's, the tail's been wagging the dog, hasn't it, really? As you say, there's been so much action at the front end um, and it needs to actually happen in, in the manufacturing environment, doesn't it? Because, you know, we, we have customized the, um, not in product terms, but we have customized the um, the visitor's experience. We engage with them like that. It's a singular transaction. And I think in having done that for the last few years, um, whether the customer's online or in retail, they want to feel special, don't they? And I think, as you say, that's, that's also kind of driving this whole ethos of customizing the product and the experience that's being delivered through digital technologies. Correct. And I think that, that, that exactly as you said, um, we all, up until this point, at least up until before COVID-19, we're all consumed about how can I make that front-end experience, meaning the online experience, as, as customized and really personalized for that, for that individual who is on my website. And I think that post-COVID-19, we say the speeds by which we will need to deliver okay, are mm -hmm. going to be much faster than they were up until now. If now it was yeah. a nice to have, now it becomes a culture in how we're buying, right? I mean, you try Great. to walk into a restaurant and have a, a dine-in experience and you'll say, I don't know about that now, but I am absolutely want to improve the drive-through experience or the curbside pickup that I'm having with that same, uh, um, same restaurant, for example, right? So the same... Same analogy will happen for our business. How do I improve the overall experience from start to finish? That's something we'll need to focus very carefully on. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Um, you're, what new technologies does the sector need to utilize, to need to need to take on board? What does it need to utilize to, to make customization a seamless process from the consumer online? all the way through to production. What what do we still, what do we need? Yeah, uh, wow. Um, I think- Sorry, big question. 
Yeah, it's a big question that <laughs> in and of itself can be covered in a, in a whole different podcast. But um, if I'll try to summarize it into some of the points we covered, you know, from systems that allow you to control your relationship with your supply chain, inventories, and so on and so forth, linking into ERPs, connecting with 3D solutions, creating some sort of a, of an overall envelope, if you if I may use that analogy, that, that kind of has inside it all these components that we spoke, but. I think in some of some of this we already discussed, you know, with the, some of the previous questions, uh-huh. like you know, setups that need to be coming into play and so on. And I think that in the current ways, teams, uh, you know, source physical prototypes and samples and send them, you know, or the finished product um, to a digitization um, a, a pro- through a digitization process to be, you know, converted or maybe created into 3D. That's that's one of the ways, by the way, that we have been doing it with our uh, um, established business over at Embody is that some companies uh-huh. who did not want to go into 3D were saying, listen, I still want to enjoy 3D, but I don't want to start the whole process of implementing it with the hiring and the, the training and the cost and the period that it's going to take to implement it. So you, you have you have this ability to convert physical samples into um 3D assets. Uh, another avenue, of course, will be to leverage, you know, 3D assets already in the hands of the brand, right? If, you know, so many of them already yeah. using 3D, um, so why not leverage those? Um, and it could be for, by the way, any product rather than just apparel. That's one important thing yeah, when we talk about the democratization of 3D is let's not mm-hmm. just think how I'm doing only shirts or button down shirts or blouses for the brand, but I'm also doing um, some other uh, uh, products that the brand is selling, maybe purses, maybe uh, wallets, maybe whatever, anything that can be visualized in 3D and being personalized and custom is a great way. So that was just a side comment. And and and, and use that in a platform that offers anything from, you know, uh, creating areas of customization or customizable components uh, for colors, textures, embroideries, logos, things like that. Design options of all the options or all the combinations that we just uh, I just mentioned. Uh, inviting others to collaborate, maybe internally and externally, so they can create variants uh, and ultimately render and publish all that onto their website. Imagine that there was a way for a small brand. Now let's go really, really small rather than really, really big to say mm-hmm. I'm. I, I have 3D, so I'll import the 3D. And if I don't have 3D, then I'll scan it in and I can set up all the variant options. I can collect all my my, my files in one place, meaning see what the cost calculation for it is, what the tech pack for it was, what the uh, uh, fabric swatches for it were, and so on. And then create all these options um, for whoever is going to be consuming them. Maybe it's my consumers online and then publish it to my website and say here are a library of colors here's a library of textures here's a library of artwork just go ahead and and create your personalized experience so this is the kind of platform that we're talking about in how we bring this to be an amazing experience now tie this together with the need to communicate effectively and fulfill with the supply chain if we talk about again uh, larger brands and mm-hmm. so on. And you have a great way to go left to right on the process and enjoy a true digital experience. I think these technologies that we are looking to have in order to make this um, a more democrat, democ- uh, democratized technology yeah. um, that open up the space rather than remain a little uh, in their little playground 
as, as good as and important as they are, by the way. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's about using the same tools, whether you're using them. You've got the whole creative field, haven't you? So you, whether you're using these tools to, to generate those core lines and just tweak them, or you go to the opposite, at the right to the other side of the spectrum, and you, as you say, you're creating one garment, one unique garment online. But whatever you create, and I think to reach the expectations that we have, we are building through virtual experiences, whatever you create has to be a true digital twin, doesn't it, of the actual physical product. And I think building that trust into the virtual area is something that, you know, we've, you know, you're, you're, you've been working on, I know, for, for a very, very, very long time, most of your career, and to actually visualize something that is almost tangible. You can almost touch it when it arrives and it comes out of the box. It's going to look just like it does on the screen. And I think post-COVID, I think building that trust in to the virtual transaction, um, whether it's a conversation or a product um, or, and sustainability, of course, as well, is going to be increasingly important. Yeah, I, I, I agree with this. I think that, you know, in all my years in the 3D space, for example, I've seen it becoming anywhere from uh, um, a very funny cartoonish looking polygon and into a true to life replica of, yeah. of, of the real thing, the image, the image twin of a, a real product. I think that, uh, you know, with the food came the appetite, if I may use that, uh, uh-huh. that, that yeah. analogy here. And, and people were saying, now that I can tell what's 3D and whatnot, then came the options to scan physical samples and play with all the product variants on it next to the ability to ingest, you know, 3D content from the 3D authoring tools and do the same thing of creating all the kind of variants, publish to your website and so on and so forth. So I think that, you know, brands, at least for the first time, will have options to say, which route do I want to take? And one of them may leverage the existing assets that they have. And for those who don't have 3D or don't have plans or don't have the budget to go there, but still want to enjoy the fruits of 3D, they'll have the other route, right? So finally, there's going to be a way to go because we need to think and act on ways that will get us to uh, uh, the end consumer faster. Um, Quick final comment on this topic of of the technologies is that a brand or a retailer, you know, you can take, uh, um, they can take confidence from the idea that each of the major obstacles, you know, to offering 3D visualizations and experiences through e-commerce and using the same tools to change the way you work, you know, with suppliers, because we are looking Mm -hmm. also at the way of how this will affect the suppliers can now be overcome. All right. And primarily when you look at platforms like this and you say, I don't want it to go through, um, uh, you know, lengthy training processes, six months of getting someone to be up and running on the system. And then guess uh, what happens? They leave, right? Maybe they got, you know, a better offer. Maybe they got um, just um, overwhelmed. Maybe they found it to be just not rewarding. enough. I don't know, but I've seen it happening, you know, so you invest in the technology, yeah. you get the training and then the person leaves you after several months and you're like, there is no, there is no pool of such users. It's ain't no Photoshop just yet. And they can pull exactly. someone from another place and work on it. So skill gap, technology gap, and the 3D content mm-hmm. gap can now be overcome with this democratized approach, if you will. You can bridge them all by finding the right partner, the right platform for your business, and whatnot. Okay, okay. Um, talking to the, looking to the future, then, Yoram. Um, mm-hmm. What, what can we do to further enhance the consumer's experience and increase conversion and engagement through the online sphere? Yeah, 
we are. You know, we cannot walk. I mean, we can, but we're not so happily going to walk into a store. Um, uh, you know, because some in some places people observe social distancing or social uh, contact. Let's call it like that, right? Distancing uh-huh. is it's not always a good word, but social contact uh, in in one way. In another state that I've been traveling, I've seen people observing it in another way. I mean, we we, we cannot force people. Just that's, that's just the nature of the beast, right? In in, in behaving yeah. or conforming to certain patterns. So I think when we look at the high level here in what we can do to enhance the, the experience on the consumer side. Um, you know, there was something that happened a while back, started happening a while back with the retailers. They called it personal shopper, right? Mm-hmm. These are the things we can introduce now in a virtual way, right? Like an online personal shopper. I mean, a lot of yeah. people still want to get that. Maybe that will be a reason to even further expand that offering. Um, a private dressing room, right, with certain technologies that can be introduced. Those that we have seen in some trade shows and maybe some mocked-up movies that we saw. I always remember one of the older ones on online that shows someone flipping through digital images and like a dress is is being put on her. An amazing concept. Maybe that will be, you know, some some really. Uh, uh, a push behind these companies to kind of bring these solutions to the front end of their offering. Um, consulting, right? When you think about it, digital ways in how I can log on to some retailer website and get some consulting on like what I should wear, how I should wear, and so on and so forth. And then that retailer or maybe that brand is putting together events. Um, uh, you know, years ago, there have been uh, uh, trade events that you can see uh, where like you're walking into a hall and there is stands, much like when you walk into a trade show, something you and I did so very freely just a few months yeah. ago. Um, and those you can the have the, those were <laughs> missing those days. Yeah, so maybe, you know, private scheduling, right, in the brick and mortar area for something a little more personal. Things along those lines on a very high level are going to be really creating the feel that we are coming back to something that's close to what we used to call the normal um, and still maintaining the distance that we need or the social contact type of etiquette that we need to implement in order to um, help us fulfill our uh, social responsibility, which is to, you know, flatten curves all over the place and really try to reduce the number of infections out there. Yeah, absolutely. and when we look closer, just to add to that, we need to think of how to relate to, uh, you know, there, there was this thing that was coined a while back, the omni-channel, all those ways I'm going to reach my consumer, right? In, in uh-huh. every single way in order to optimize my selling uh, um, um, delivery. So we need to think in that sense also of a new omni-channel experience, like how to reach the guest when we're dealing with online, where to reach them. Um, for example, on a store and a mobile device and a computer and so, and, and so on. And, and, and in what way, right? When we're dealing with online, there is the emergence of artificial, uh, uh, augmented realities, virtual realities, um, images that are now, um, can be transmitted in different ways than just a flat picture that you used to see. 3D, of course, right? We spoke about that throughout this yeah. uh, podcast for quite a while. Uh, the level of engagement that we, we can think about, like how to interact with the end consumer, right? When from a business side, you don't want to deploy all your weapons if 
if we may call them like that, for someone who's just strolling onto your website. But once you de- you find that they're engaged and they spend more time on your website, you start deploying additional personalized, more deeper tools with them. And guess what? Mm. You're creating a repeated customer this way. Yeah, I was um, I was listening to a podcast last week actually talking about some new technology uh, or not new but um, enhanced technologies for algorithms uh, with regard to personal shopping and how the future will be redefined in that whole space and that the the actual algorithm becomes your personal assistant in that it knows mm-hmm. what you like. So as we move forward and we use um, technology that maps our bodies, et cetera, et cetera, you will have an avatar online, but um, a private avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, but then basically you, as as it watches what you like and do, it brings you clothes that not only not only would you like, but will also suit you. So it actually kind of becomes your personal dresser. Um, and because of that, it would be an incredible, powerful asset for all of the retail brands. It's right. got upselling all of the garments. So I think there's, there's so much going on in that space. It's a really exciting time. Yeah. And when you look at everything we just mentioned, you know, from augmented reality to virtual reality, ag- algorithms that know to predict your behavior and maybe gather some data as a consequence, the brand learns a lot about you. And we may yeah. like it or not like it because of the Big Brother type of, of approach. But hey, uh, you're on Google. Big Brother is already there, right? So you're yeah. on, you're on, you have your Gmail email address um, or, or uh, um, Apple, you know, email address. Big Brother is already there. So, I mean, we can try and limit their access into our lives. But if it serves the purpose of shortening our interaction, making it much more efficient for the brand and for the consumer, you know what? I think personally, I'm for that. Especially, in I think we'll, we'll all, Yeah, exactly. We'll all go for things that save us time, won't we? Because you're actually, it's actually a gift. It's, it's, it's a gift, isn't it? it? Is a, yeah. You know, who, who wants to trawl through the whole internet for things when you can have something that, if it's clever enough and intelligent enough, brings you what you want really quickly? So, yeah, those those can be assets, of course, with the right privacy controls moving forward. But, um, but yeah, um, very, very exciting technologies out there. Um, you're in, we, we are running short of time. I'm very conscious that you're so busy. Um, I'll, if you're happy, we'll move on to the next question. Yeah, please do. So, Uh, Which was just really an insight into, obviously, um, going way back when, customization was once only, if you talk about couture and bespoke, for the luxury marketplace. Do you see the adoption of customization across all sectors now of fashion, apparel, sportswear, everywhere? Do you think we're going to see liftoff here? Um, It's a good question. I think that um, there's a lot of maybes here. All right, and mm-hmm. uh, we needed to be safe. Um, we need to be safe to assume certain things. Among them, I can count: will consumers positively positively react to this? Okay, because you know mm-hmm. not everyone can face the options in, in in the basic psychology course I once took. They were saying, you know, um, the easiest of all decisions is when you present someone with three options, not one, not two, but when you have three options. Um, it's easy for them to choose. So will consumers positively re- react to whatever the brand will position in front of them? Um, another consideration will be, will brands be able to line up to support this? Okay, because again, what, as we spoke uh, in, in, in a couple of the previous topics, uh, the brand also needs to be ready to support something 
along the lines of customization, anywhere from the relationship with the supply chain all the way to the front end of what type of, of web configurator, for example, they're going to be offering to their customers, to what level do they want to offer customization. And as a consequence to that, another question that I can think of is, you know, whether price points will be such that, you know, will meet consumer expectations. It's another, you know, very yeah, valid that's point. Yeah, that's a huge point, yeah. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. as much as we want, you know, customization to come at the same price, most times it does not. Um, and another point that we can bring up here is, you know, whether technology will be seamlessly available, and I'm emphasizing on seamlessly, to support yeah. such transatlantic relationship with the supply chain, right? When you think about yes. customization, there is a relationship that goes all the way back to the mill. Um, yeah. A lot will need to change in that respect. So we do see, when we see adoption of, in, you know, internal digital tools for, for you know, creating variants, maybe we can call it the very basic level of, of customization, right? Creating variants and assortment creation. Um, those tools, we, we, we see them starting to become widely adopted across many sectors. I'm, I'm emphasizing on the digital aspect of it rather than the physical aspect of it, right? Big difference uh-huh. there. One, you can react a lot faster and manage what happens further down the road. Um, so we start seeing this thing. Um, it is a trend that we had been anticipating for years, I would say. Um, started working, I would say, rather every, anywhere from like about 2018, I think we saw the first signs of it. Um, but I think it's much more urgently needed now. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. We're going to see, hopefully, a huge growth. Yeah. Lauren, thank you. Thank you so much for um, delving so deeply into all of our questions. Fabulous, fabulous answers. answers. It's been a pleasure to chat with you as always. Is there anything else that you'd like to add during the podcast? Anything else you'd like to discuss today? No, I think uh, we got a good view of uh, what COVID-19 did, um, where we're headed from here, what decisions brand and retailers need to take, how they need to approach this one um, internally and externally, and then they're within the immediate cycles and onwards. So I'll say it's great to be here. Great for having me. Um, All right, great. So, so, so do we agree then that um, COVID will accelerate the digitization of the the supply chain? Yeah, and I think that if someone is thinking that they – um, still have the option of thinking if they want to do it. I think reality already knocked on the door and say you have to. Um, yeah. The question is how good, well, this plan will be executed at the brand level. So there is an upside in what COVID-19 brought to the market, and that is the need to change. Yeah, and new opportunities for everybody, I guess. Yes, I yeah, would everybody in- see the opportunity ev- within the crisis. Yeah, absolutely. For all of those various practitioners and technology providers throughout that entire supply chain. Joram, thank you so, so, so much. We could chat forever. <laughs> I look, for- I look well. forward to seeing you somewhere soon. <laughs> a virtual, if not a physical up. one. Yeah. Or, yeah, maybe. Who knows? We'll look forward to that. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your time today as well. You're most welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.